Oh my word. Did you know it's the 1st of December? How in the heck did we get here? I can feel your stress rising, but fear not, I'm here to help. Throughout the month of December, I'm bringing you the 12 pods of Christmas, 12 episodes that will guide you through your best holiday season yet. We're going to maximize the joy, minimize the stress and set you up for 2023. Now, ordinarily, I'm Ed Stott, but for the month of December, I'll be going by my elf name of Squeezy Sugar Socks. I'm not joking. Okay, maybe I'm a little bit, but I'm just so excited about all the fun we're going to have. And boy, are we starting off with a bang. Today, how to negotiate your dream Christmas. Sick of spending every year trudging around to your in-laws or abiding by holiday traditions that you really don't enjoy? In this episode, we're going to learn the art of negotiation, how it can help you to get what you want and improve pretty much every relationship in your life. Rachel Moore Best is the founder of The Human Factor, an organization dedicated to making negotiation and advocacy accessible to everyone. You also lecture at MIT. What do you lecture in? Yeah, so I have two classes that I teach at MIT. I teach power and negotiation in the School of Business. That's Mm. primarily working with MBA students. They're a little bit further along in their career, and they're really looking to kind of hone the skill of negotiation. And then I also teach negotiation and influence for technical leaders in the School of Engineering. And those folks are primarily finishing up their PhD, um, all in deeply, deeply technical fields um, Mm. from like material science to aerospace engineering. And they are um, a fascinating group of people because their goals are really different. Um, They are looking Mm. to be able to advocate for their work. Um, advocate for themselves within big organizations um, and, you know, ensure that they get to do the kind of amazing work that they went to MIT for um, by developing that uh, personal skills, interpersonal skills. Wow. Okay. So teaching us how to get a pay rise should be a piece of cake then. (laughs) (laughs) It is unsatisfying to most people, but um, teaching salary negotiation is like my least favorite thing because it's something that you do so infrequently. Um, and you should, right. You, we, we should know how to negotiate our salary, but, Mm. um, I really think that the way that we negotiate how we interact with people on a more daily basis and have hard conversations and advocate for the things that matter for matter to us, that feels more relevant to me. Cool. Okay. Well, I can't wait to get into it. Tell me, how did you come to learn so much and how did you get started in negotiation? How did it become your area of expertise? So in graduate school, I came in with a very specific idea. I was Mm. very sure of the fact that I was going to build on my background of human interaction design. So thinking about how humans interact with systems and uh, products and technology. And I really thought I was going to carry that forward and work on just more technical technology (laughs) um, after graduate school. And then in graduate school, what I found was that we were looking for technology to solve a lot of problems. Um, Mm -hmm. And it can, but a lot of times the humans in the system actually have a lot of control over how effective new solutions and new technologies are. And so I started getting really interested in this idea of like, what is the role of the human in how we are innovating and trying to improve the world? And that really brought me to this like fundamental breakdown, which is that um, when we don't know how to talk to each other, 
we don't know how to learn about the problem and um, explore that through research-backed methods um, mm. that can help us to do that really effectively. You can create all the amazing technology and systems and processes that you want, but the humans will break them. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. So, yeah, so that led me into uh, you know a course on the topic, which led me to teaching on the topic, which led me into a research field on the topic, um, and it's it seems a little bit um, disconnected from where I started, but it has really shown to be the the most effective lever we can pull is is to learn more about the human um, in the loop. Yeah, cool. I love that. That is so interesting to me. So we often, as I said in my intro, we often only think of negotiation as when we're like buying a new car or trying to get a pay rise. But as you said, we need this skill for so much more than this. Can you give me some examples of when it's so important and beneficial to be a good negotiator? Yeah. So I like to give examples like thinking about when you need to get more of something or when you need to get something done. So maybe mm-hmm. you need more time or you need more resources or you need someone to help you watch your kids or uh, you need a better connection with your neighbor or something like that. Um, or you're just trying to get things done, like you have a project team that you're leading or a local organization that you work with and you're trying to unblock a project that's there. Um, those are some scenarios, but I also think about like, if you're going to be married, if you're going to have children, <laughs> if you are going to have neighbors, if you're going to have a roommate or a partner, you know, um, those are all relationships where there is opportunity for us to create more value. But if we are not intentional about it, we will default to our natural human defaults, which is I'm very concerned with what I have and what I need. And I'm a lot less likely to learn more about what you have and what you need, which means we'll miss opportunities to help each other. Yeah. So essentially, if you're just a human moving in the world, you need negotiation skills. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's so cool. So initially, why do you think we find it so hard to approach negotiation and just ask for what we want? There's a couple of things that come to mind, and I think that it's helpful for me to tie them back to what's the evolutionary or human aspect of this that Mm. um, causes us to react this way. And the first one is that we are biologically programmed to resist anything that feels like rejection. And if you think about it, like put it in the evolutionary lens, right? If you go back to a hunter-gatherer time, if you weren't part of a group you probably couldn't hunt any antelope, you know, and you might have been eaten mm. by a jaguar. I don't know if those animals are correct, but um, <laughs> that's <Some it> bad. <laughs> yes, it's <some it> bad. <laughs> and then, you know, that instinct within us to really recognize that we needed to be part of the group mm. has led us to a couple of things. Um, first, we have an f- actual physical reaction against ostracization. So the Mm -hmm. idea of being rejected from the group, Um, so much so that um, your brain has actually co-opted some of the same pathways that are used to transmit pain signals for rejection. And so like breakups actually have a physical hurt. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So much so that there's been some research that has learned, has discovered that um, a Tylenol, like a pain killer can actually help uh, be effective against the pain of a breakup or pain of rejection. Now, I am not suggesting that we medicate our breakups, but what's interesting is that points to a very real 
component of ourselves yeah. that when we think about taking a risk, asking for what we need, mm-hmm. um, asking for more of something that is putting ourselves out there and our, our brains are just going to resist if we feel like there's any chance that someone might say no, or that that might distance us from our group. That's the first thing. And I think that controls a lot of it. The other thing is, is that um, in order for us to effectively negotiate, we have to share part of ourselves. Um, You have to share about what you need. You have to share about what you have, what your constraints are. And that can feel like a loss of power for a lot of folks. Mm. Because if you talk about what you need, then there's a couple of things, right? There's that rejection part. Someone might say, no, they're not going to give it to you. And then what? (laughs) But Mm. then there's also the risk that we can feel if we ask for something or we share information about ourselves. And now somebody else has that information about us and that can feel scary. Mm. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And also it's super reassuring because we're told, you know, oh, you've got to be like the dominating, you've got to go in, you're an idiot if you're not getting what you're worth, like pay me my money, all this stuff that goes around on social media and you're thinking, oh my God, I need to ask for a salary rise. But like internally, it's just like excruciating. But to know that your brain is trying to keep you alive and it's not you personally who is just crap at this, like you're, it's actually physiologically a built-in response to resist this kind of thing. That is absolutely correct. And if we think about that let's just touch on that picture for a second, right? Of like, okay, you have to go in in like your power suit and make demands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what does that potentially give us? Okay, that picture uh, has come from, you know, media potentially and yep. histor- historically what negotiation has looked like. But what do we gain if we walk into a situation with like our power position and like our big demands? Mm what do we get out of that? Mm. Yeah. Any ideas? Have, well, it's never worked for me. <laughs> 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 Not that I'm a power suit kind of person, but like, I think maybe you then immediately you come to the party with this front and then people often mirror what you give off. Right. So you're just going to be met with a bigger wall in front of you. If you come with a massive wall, then another wall is going to meet you straight in the face. Right. You're absolutely correct. And so there's what we would call a reciprocity effect, which is that the way that we approach people, we will often get the same reaction in in return. Um, And so if we come in with our like guns blazing and our power suit and our like domineering behavior, we'll likely see that in return. Yeah. And so negotiation requires some agreement, some Mm. Um, understanding of each other. And so for me, when I think about that picture, I think it really does us a disservice to believe that Mm. that is the standard. Yeah. Um, Because what you'll get is you'll get the same reaction and response, right? Which (laughs) naturally feels very scary. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's so interesting. So if we want to start to learn how to negotiate, What's like, what's some of the foundational key principles that we need to know to start negotiating effectively? Yeah. And so I like to talk about it through the lens of we teach often from Roger Fisher's seven elements. Um, And there's a fantastic book that's been around for a long time about that um, called Getting to Mm. Yes. But what it does is it talks about some of the basic foundational components 
of being able to negotiate. And there's, there's really a couple, two or three, that if we can start holding those things in our minds, um, mm. will already make us much better at having conversations with people about the things that we want and need. Yeah, right. Okay. The first is something called interests, which is we have a thing that we ask for. And in the literature, in the books, right, we call that a position. So if mm-hmm. I say, I want a pay raise of, you know, $100,000, but sorry, that, that'd be significant. I, I want a pay raise <laughs> of, you know, 10% yeah. from $100,000, let's say. And that that is what we would call a position. So that's basically the demand that you're making. Mm-hmm. Your interests are the things that motivate you to choose that position. So yeah, right. um, maybe you want to see, you want to know that you're growing. And so you want to get a raise because that's proof that you're growing within your organization. Yeah. Or you've been there for a long time and you want to know that you're appreciated. Mm-hmm. Maybe your colleague got a raise and you want to know that you are as valued as your colleague. Yeah. Those are all things that we would call interests. And those yeah. interests, those, you know, um, more feelings-based, more motivations-based things are what cause us to choose the position that we take. Yep. And there's a lot more data in those interests, right? There's a lot more that someone can learn about us in those things versus our demand of 10%. Yeah, right. And so if we are able to identify what are our interests and figure out how to strategically share them, and if we can figure out what somebody else's interests are beyond mm-hmm. just their their position, but one level deeper, what is motivating them to choose that position, then we can have a really honest conversation about what is possible in order to meet those interests. So maybe a 10% pay raise isn't possible at your organization in that particular month, but maybe they can do it in three months. And in the meantime, they can give you um, more of a leadership position on your team. Uh, or they can have uh, some acknowledgement of the work that you've done. You can get an opportunity to present to bigger people. Um, mm-hmm. Other things that would meet your interests of wanting to be seen, respected, appreciated, e- even if they're not able to just give you the cash right away. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask for money and ex- you know expect money for things like yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent work, but if we demand something uh, from a positional standpoint, so if we say 10% is the answer I'm looking for, um, we're a lot more likely to, to have what we would call a no agreement mm-hmm. where we try to negotiate and we just don't figure out how to solve it. Yeah. But when interests are on the table, you get a lot more data to work with and you can get really creative about how you can meet interests on both sides without yeah. sacrificing either party's outcome. Yeah, that's really cool. So when we go in to negotiate and we've got our position and our interests, what would you lead with? Would you lead with the interests and would you even bring up the position? Or like, how do you negotiate where in the conversation you bring up your interests and your position? Yeah, so I would actually say that before you even share interests, it would be great if you could ask a question. Yeah, right. Because what you want to do is you want to learn also about the other side and what their interests are. And we get that reciprocity effect, right? If we are yeah. asking them a question about the things that really matter to them and understanding more of what their interests are, they're much more likely to be able to be interested in what our interests are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
that can get us to a place where, okay, you're sharing a little bit of information. I'm sharing a little bit of information. And we get this sort of nice give and take that helps us to get to a place where we feel like we're collaborating on a solution versus I'm placing a demand on the table and you are going to counter. Yeah. So how would we, like, how do you know what question to ask then to get to their interest? Because like going to, up to anyone and going, so what do you want, you know, is immediately <laughs> going to pass them off and make them feel like we're some kind of weirdo and that they don't want to give us what we want because we're odd. Like what's the best way of finding out what their interests are? Yeah. So maybe let's think about an example. Um, can you yeah. think of a scenario where you might want to negotiate for a particular outcome? Uh, so what about if you're, okay, here we go. Christmas coming up. What about you don't want to spend Christmas at your partner's place yet again? You feel like you've done that and you, the outcome you want is just to not spend Christmas at their place again. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great example. Um, okay, so with your partner, um, mm -hmm. you this topic will presumably come up, and maybe yep. they already assume what the outcome is. So let's say that they're assuming what the outcome is, yep. and then you say, okay, actually, I really would love to talk about that. Can you tell me what is really important to you when it comes to our gathering this Christmas? Like, tell me yeah. a little bit about what's exciting to you, or Tell me a little bit about what you're hoping for. Yeah. And then with an open question like that, you know, remember an open question is something that doesn't just get a yes or no answer. Yeah. Um, but we ask an open question and then we have our listening skills to guide us in that conversation. So maybe they say, oh, well, you know, um, you know, you know that we have that tradition of cooking that particular meal mm. you're like oh okay so it sounds like that's something that's really important to you i know we've done that every year is it the meal specifically or is it us getting to spend that time together and have that tradition and if we can just come with curiosity mm -hmm. then odds are they'll actually give us a lot of information yeah and then if let's say we find out that what really matters to them is um getting to cook this particular meal that was special to them uh, in their childhood because that really reminds them and makes them feel connected to home. Mm. Then what would we say is their interest? And I know I'm, I'm throwing a new framework at you and asking you to yeah, use it. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, yeah. What would you, what would you diagnose? What is their interest? Their interest would be, I think, the time spending with you, right? Yeah, it could be the time. It could be that connection to their childhood mm. um, that feels really special. Yeah, It could be that, um, I know one for me, right, is I, I tend to come back to the same traditions because yeah. I want to stay connected to like my childhood experience of the holidays. Um, yeah. And so, okay, I come back and I do the same things. And it's not really the tradition itself that matters. It's that connection. So if it was someone offered, okay, what if we, instead of cooking that particular meal, we watch one of your favorite childhood movies, like that would probably scratch the itch for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so if we, if we think about like one more vocabulary, negotiation vocabulary word, this idea of satisfying interests in a new way 
Yeah. That is what we would call options or option generation. And so maybe the cooking the meal is what is, you know, at their place specifically is what they typically are looking for. Yeah. And you coming up with other creative ways that you could scratch the same itch is generating options. And the hope is that you can find one that has more value to you. So yeah. maybe you don't want to be at their place, but you do want to have that special holiday connection and you're able to offer them something that gets you something that you want as well as scratches the itch for them. Now you've both won Yeah. versus having to get one person to give something up in order for you to win. So I guess when we're going into it with that position, you kind of have to have that position and like that out deal outcome for you, but you also have to be willing to negotiate like com- or compromise around that position, right? Yes. So that's the, the downside, I think, of positional negotiating. So if we come yeah. in with like, I want A and you want B, yeah, we kind of have very few skills at navigating that because if A and B are like mutually exclusive, yeah, yeah. the option is, okay, do we split the difference? And then we're both a little unhappy. Yeah. Um, or can we get ourselves talking on this interest level, right? One level deeper. And if we can, then the odds are we can probably come up with something that's not A or B, but actually is more satisfying to both parties. We can yeah. create more overall value. Yeah. And so I like to use the word collaborate more than compromise mm-hmm. because I think compromise brings people to the, the headspace of um, giving something up. I, yeah. I have what I yeah. want, but I'm going to give something up and I want other people to give something up too. And um, if you can get to a place where you feel like you're collaboratively trying to solve the right problem, usually that's more satisfying to both sides. Oh, I like this. This is cool. I've never even thought about this this way. I've just thought I've just got to go in and make you do what I want. And that never works. <laughs> I know. I know. That it doesn't work so for me either. Cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, well, obviously, like, that's not the way it's going to work. So one of the things that we talked about a little bit before is our redu- reluctance to negotiate uh, mm-hmm. and the fact that we don't really want to negotiate. So if we use that same example, like, You don't really want to go to your partner's place again for Christmas because his parents drive you wild. Last week, last (laughs) week, last year, it was really stressful. Like you don't like their food. You know, it's just there's a whole heap of reasons why you don't want to go there. How do we overcome our reluctance to start negotiating? Because like for so many people, they just put up with it because it's way easier to just go along with it and then it'll be fine. Like you suffer a bit, but like, you'll just get through it. So how do we overcome that reluctance to negotiate and see that like that actually negotiating is the best course of action? Yeah, that's such a good question. And, and it totally makes sense to Mm. decide sometimes that the effort is not worth it. Yeah. Uh, I'm a professional, I'm a professional negotiator and sometimes I just do the thing that's easier. (laughs) (laughs) So that's okay too. Yeah. I think the first thing is to recognize that you can prepare for these conversations. Um, You can think about, okay, what are the things that I care about? Um, What are my interests? Or another question I like to ask myself that that really helps is, um, you know, what are the the reasons why what I'm asking for is going to make my life better? That sometimes helps me to discover them. And then do it for the other side. What are the reasons why they want the thing they're asking for? How does that make their life better? Mm-hmm. And then you have these lists. Okay, now can I think of before you've even had the conversation? 
can I think of a few creative ways that we might be able to meet some of the things on each of these lists that feels better to me? Yeah. And then, okay, that's the first step. Then what if this isn't working? Like what happens if we don't figure it out? Mm-hmm. And that part I think is really important because I think it's common for us to approach these conversations feeling like it's a very all or nothing. We're going to come in and we're either going to win or disaster is going to strike and our relationships are going to be ruined and we're not even going to be at our partner's place for Christmas because now we don't have a partner anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so in our preparation, we can think about and really uh, crystallize what we care about and what we think our our counterpart or our partner cares about. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be wrong on some of those things, right? That's It's a conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to, to make a, a best hypothesis, and then also to ask ourselves, what happens if this doesn't work? Mm-hmm. So if we get into the conversation and we find we're not able to come up with a solution that is acceptable to our partner, they're not interested in collaborating with us, what is what we would call in negotiation our alternative? Or sometimes mm-hmm. you hear the, ter- hear the term BATNA, B-A-T-N-A, which is okay. just an acronym for best, uh, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Okay. Yeah. It's just a, vo- just a vocabulary word. I'm going to start using that now all the time. Yeah. What's my BATNA? <laughs> What's my BATNA? Yeah. I, neg- I know how to negotiate. What's my BATNA? <laughs> yes. But, but thinking about your alternative is just like, okay, if this doesn't work out, what do I do? Yeah. 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 And so if we get into this conversation and my partner and I can't come up with a solution, what do I do? Okay. My options are my, my alternatives. I could not go with, not be with my partner for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I could decide that I am going to go to their house um, for the holidays and I'm just not going to worry about my concerns Yeah. Um, or other things, right? I can decide that I'm going to break up with my partner or I mm-hmm. can decide yeah. that, you know, you have options, you have things that you can do if you don't come to an agreement. And the exercise of doing this is not just to make a list of potential steps, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. to recognize within ourselves that we're not on a one-way street. Yeah. That we can get into this conversation. And if it's not working, it's also okay for us to go with one of these things that we've put on our list that mm-hmm. we have as, uh, you know, another path. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps us internally to address the, to really speak to the part of ourselves that feels scared of negotiating. Um, And the other benefit is that if you get into that conversation and you come up with some creative solutions, you can always look at that creative solution and compare it to your list of alternatives and make sure that the option that's on the table is still something you want to say yes to. So it kind of holds you accountable to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I like that. And so, you know, one of the things we're told about negotiation or, you know, I don't know where I learned this because I'm crap at negotiation, but one of the things that people always say is, oh, go big and then you can negotiate down, you know, like ask for the ultimate thing that you want and then you can negotiate down. Is is that a good tactic? Does that work? It It does. Mm. It does in that if you are in this position where you are going to say, I want A and this person wants B, and we're not going to approach this from a um, interest approach, but we're just going to bargain like between yeah, A yeah. and B, um, I would much rather split the difference from overshooting yeah, <laughs> a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah, 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 yeah. from a higher point, right, or a lower point than 
from maybe what I think of as like my bare minimum. Yeah. But, you know, my, my suggestion, my proposition is that there are other skills that are probably more helpful to us. Yeah. Um, but if we're feeling very much like there isn't enough relationship, there isn't an opportunity to listen. Um, we really think it's just this person wants a number from us and they're going to tell us whether or not it works for them. Um, like for example, if you're going to, you know, buy something from somebody online, they're probably not really interested in having this long conversation about why they care. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they do. Maybe they're willing, mm-hmm. you know, and there's mm-hmm. some opportunity for value creation. But a lot of times it's like, they just want to know whether or not you guys can align on price. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In that scenario, I like to do some research first, know yeah. what my reasonable comparables are. And then, uh, sure, you can inflate it a little bit. Mm. Um, my test for that, there's not really a like hard and fast rule. My test is, can I look myself in the mirror and, and trust the number I'm saying? I love that. That's my That's test. Great. Yeah, I love that. That's really good. I like it. And um, so when we're talking about like negotiating these personal relationships, you know, <clears throat> we're not necessarily, um, you know, negotiating, um, with somebody that's, a bit more on the periphery of our lives, like a boss or somebody who's selling us something in a shop or, you know, a salesperson. It's somebody that we're really close to. What are some of the other really useful um, tools we can use to become a better negotiator and actually improve our relationship in the process? Yeah. So the same way that we have interests that motivate the things that we ask for, Mm -hmm. Um, we have things that we are looking for when we engage with other people. And, um, these are often called emotional interests or relational interests, and they are core common things that we are looking for when we engage with other people. And so we, for example, want to be appreciated in our relationships. Um, we want to know that we have autonomy. Like, do we have the ability to choose for ourselves? Um, are we being treated fairly? Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's six total that we think are, are fairly universal for folks. And yeah, right. you'll have probably one or two that rise to the top as your number one. Yeah. Um, and it's really helpful to know what your emotional triggers are, right? The yeah. same way that it's helpful to know the people around you, what theirs are. And what you're really looking for is to understand what are the things that you want when you engage with someone what helps you to feel seen and to feel safe showing up in that relationship because the opposite is to feel emotionally triggered. Mm. And when we are emotionally triggered by someone stepping on one of these things, right? They either, we maybe we don't feel appreciated or we feel like someone's trying to exert power over us, or they're painting us into a role we don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, they're indicating that we're not part of the group. We're not affiliated with each other. We don't belong. Mm -hmm. If somebody steps on one of those things, what happens is that there's a reaction in the brain that causes us to essentially move away from the rational part of ourselves that can make good decisions. We've all felt this, right? Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, So a couple of things happen when we're in this emotionally triggered place. Yeah. The first thing is, is that we lose a lot of our auditory information. We become very, very visual. And so there's a different part of the brain engaged in that type of memory. But if you think about it, if you are emotionally triggered and you cannot really take in auditory information very well, 
if you're trying to have a conversation with someone, you're trying to negotiate, that's just not helping. Mm. Um, On top of that, we become very focused on how we feel treated versus Mm. the facts of Mm. the scenario. So a lot more connected to our feelings. And that experience gets stored in our brain with sort of a big red tag. It was an emotional experience and it is highlighted as something that was really important. And so when we're in that place and all of these things are happening, we're just not really in the place to be able to have a reasonable conversation. And it takes about, I think the average for for people, it varies person to person, but I think it takes about 16 minutes to recover back to where you can get rational again and actually have a more reasonable conversation. And that's assuming that we don't get re-triggered, right? (laughs) By them, our partner or our parents saying the same thing again. And so we think about making that functional in our relationships, right? Um, Knowing what gets us feeling triggered is really important Mm. Um, because then we can both recognize it when it's happening and know that we need to step back, take a walk, um, find a way to get through those 16-ish minutes before we start to re-engage before we reply all, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and then on top of that, if we know our own triggers, we can also coach the people around us. So maybe, you know, you have a boss who tends to micromanage your work mm-hmm. and autonomy is super important to you. Then you you could coach them on that. You know, hey, um, I know that your input to the work is really, really valuable. What I'm finding is that um, it is really helpful to me to understand the changes that are being made so that I can best represent those things to the client. And so I'm wondering if you would mind, instead of making changes directly to the document, just send me your notes. I'm happy to incorporate them and I'll send you back a version that you can check. Yeah. Right. Now what I've done is I've sort of like created a way that my boss isn't going to keep stepping on my autonomy trigger. Yeah. Uh, not speaking from real life experience, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I see why this is so much more interesting than pay rises. I, I think so. A hundred percent. So much more useful. So one of the challenges when we um, come to negotiation, whether that's around, you know, the holidays and your um negotiating potentially with people that like do trigger you one of the things that's hard is like actually figuring out what you want or what your um like what you actually want to get out the negotiation do you have any tips for figuring out what we want like what we're going to ask for what what's our position yeah that's a hard one Mm. um I think that Oftentimes you're looking for you're looking for something that's going to help you be treated fairly. Yeah. And so there are certain things that we can look at that can help us know what will feel fair. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't solve everyone, right? But for mm-hmm. example, if you're going to buy or sell something, you're going to ask um, for a process to change. You want your boss to treat you a certain way. You want your partner to do something. If you can find a standard that can yeah. help you to know what's fair. Yeah. So okay. uh, how much do project managers get paid? That can help you to n- know that what you're asking your boss is fair, but then also to feel treated fairly, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you can still look for you can look for those standards beyond just like salary numbers. So um, maybe you're getting emails from your boss all the time after work hours, and that is really feeling unfair. You can find a standard like, hey, I'm noticing that there are other folks within the organization who really try to keep those work emails to the eight to five block, you know, of time. Mm. Um, can we can we talk about trying to establish a similar standard within our relationship? You know, you can find other kinds of standards that are really helpful. You know, and then there's the kind, the part of our, excuse me, and then there's the side of us that is wanting to feel appreciated or cared for um, with a partner or family member who wants to figure out how to build our relationship with that friend who cancels plans, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for those types of negotiations, it really takes a, a willingness to look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what helps me know what I want is to go back to my designer days, right? To go back to where I started yeah. and to come up with an idea and then see how I like that. So yeah, okay. maybe I'm negotiating with, I'm thinking about a negotiation with um, you know, my sister and I want to change something about our the way that we relate to each other. You know, if I can think to myself, okay, what if instead of doing what we do now, we did this other thing instead? Would that help me? Would I like that? Mm. And sort of try it on mentally. Okay, that's one option. Let's come up with a different one. And let me let me see if that's better. Does that help? Mm. And I don't know if that works for everybody, but that is sort of my personal approach. Is yeah, uh, I think about it like prototyping. Yeah, I like that. And it kind of comes back to that preparation piece too, doesn't it? Before you go into the negotiation or what to get what you want out of it, you kind of have to put quite a lot of thought into it, don't you? Yeah. And the the number one thing that people can do that will make them better, like get better outcomes in negotiation is to prepare. Yeah. Yeah. What happens all the time is you go into a negotiation and you realize you're actually not sure what you want, or you yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. that standard of fairness, or you haven't thought at all about what potentially you could do if this didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And that means either we go back to that positional bargaining, right? Here's my demand. Yeah. Because we're, we get scared or we agree to something that maybe isn't good for us because we don't have an alternative to protect us, mm-hmm. um, something else to consider. And what I would suggest is to prepare and if yeah. you aren't prepared, if you find yourself a little blindsided, um, to get practiced at asking for more time. Yeah. So okay. Somebody approaches you and they like want to jump into something and you recognize, okay, this is a negotiation. Maybe it doesn't look like the movies, but this is a negotiation. Yeah. It is to make it okay to say, that is a really important question. I really want to talk to that, talk to you about that. I'm wondering if we can schedule some time tomorrow later (laughs) can we come back to this um when i've had a chance to really get my thoughts in order yeah um and i think it's important to practice that like practice that line on somebody that you trust or find opportunities to practice that so that when your boss or um, somebody you have conflict with or a parent approaches you and you can recognize you're in a negotiation you need to have something you can reach for that allows you to get more time if you really need a moment to prepare. 
Yeah, that's great advice. Really good advice. And what about, so one of the things that um, obviously is really important is recognizing the other person's interests. What if you're negotiating with a person that you don't like and that can kind of cloud our vision, right? So I'm thinking again, back to the holidays, you know, if you can have kind of a fractious relationship with a holiday, with a family member or maybe like your partner's family or I don't know, anybody really, how can you negotiate with somebody that you don't like? Because you're really going to struggle to see their point of view for what it is because that kind of clouds everything you know about them, right? Yeah, definitely. So there's a couple of things that help. Um, I don't know that it fixes all relationships, but I do think it's a step in the right direction, right? Which is um, the first thing I would say is that listening doesn't mean agreeing. Mm -hmm. And so if you can convince yourself that you can listen and you can understand somebody's what somebody is trying to tell you mm-hmm. without necessarily agreeing with their perspective or their point of view or the way that they approach things. Yeah. Um, that can bring freedom, right? Okay. I can listen to this person without having to agree with them. And that will give me more information, which can help me to try to get more of what it is that I need. Mm. Um, that is one way that helps is to frame up listening through that lens. And I think the other thing is, is that when we share information, it's hard to share information with people that we don't trust. Yeah. And so we don't have to share information all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, ask a question, see if you can learn something about them. Um, and then try out sharing information about your own interests that isn't high risk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so don't come out and say, you know, I really don't feel like I belong, you know, and I want to talk about that. That might be really hard for them to receive and to respond to, but you could share something little, you know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really finding that um, I'd love to talk a little bit about how we do dinner. Mm-hmm. Is that something you can be open to? And, you know, maybe that's a low risk piece of information and then see if they share something back and sort of, ask yourself to just do one piece of information at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are some things that I think help me to get okay with negotiating. And then as far as like trying to build the relationship, I sometimes like to think about negotiating, not just the content of our challenges, but also how we negotiate. So Mm. negotiations have two parts, right? They have the thing that we're talking about and Mm -hmm. how we are talking about them. And so a lot of what we've been talking about today has been about how we talk about things, right? Oh, okay. Instead of having a (laughs) position, let's talk about interests. And you can actually explicitly discuss that with the person that you're negotiating with. So let's say um, it's a, you know, somebody in your partner's family that you struggle to get along with. Mm-hmm. You could even come up to them and say, you know, I would really love to talk about X thing about the holiday plans. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hoping is I can tell you a little bit about what's on my mind. And then you could tell me a little bit about what's on your mind or maybe do it in the opposite order. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then after we've both gotten a chance to kind of talk through that, what I'm hoping is that we can kind of get creative and brainstorm some solutions. And it may be that we can't come to a better agreement, but I'm wondering if you'd be willing to do that. Um, just for the next 10 minutes. And what we're doing, right, is we're saying, hey, we're not going to commit to something. We're just going to give it a go. 
And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to give it a go with me. We can put a bound of how long it's going to take us on there. Mm-hmm. And it, by first coming at negotiating process, you get a couple of like amazing effects. But the first is that you've made the first move in a way that hasn't compromised anything that you care about. Yeah. You're going to get that, probably you're going to get that reciprocity response where they're going to say, okay, you're like trying to come at this in a new way. Maybe I'll try to come at this in a new way. Mm -hmm. And you've pushed off commitment. So you said, we're going to try this, but we're not going to commit to this. And so if you find that none of this is working or you're feeling like it's not helping you with your relationship, you can always say, okay, that was an experiment. I'm not sure we got anywhere, but thank you so much for being willing to to have the conversation. Yeah, I love that. And also then you're not going to trigger them, right? And you're not going to have to wait 16 minutes to wait <laughs> until they're <laughs> right. ready to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah. This is so cool. And a lot of the things that, uh, you know, like common negotiation that we hear is that, oh, you should bluff and like say that you've got this or like inflate your where you're coming from. Is that a good idea? Mm. I don't think so. No. Um, I, I am fairly against lying. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes you can choose what information you share. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is with lying is none of us are as good at it as we think we are. <laughs> um, That's so true. And, <laughs> and when we default to lying, usually that means that we are not able to use these other skills that I would say have a higher likelihood of success. Yeah. And so sometimes that be, is because we're under pressure, right? Sometimes that's because we're surprised or we get scared or there's a lot going on or we're tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we default to these kind of natural behaviors of like lie about what I care about and like hold my information back and try mm. to bargain more aggressively. Um, and the reality is I think a lot of these other kinds of skills are significantly more likely to get us a good outcome. Mm-hmm. And so I prefer to invest my energy in that strategy versus trying to build skill in deception or holding back information. Cause the research just shows that that actually really doesn't help us in the long run. Yeah. Um, there's a fantastic research study. If you don't mind one uh, nerdy point here, love it, please. where they, <laughs> where they studied um, pairs of people um trying to do a negotiation Mm -hmm. and they looked at how their relationship and how much information they shared with each other affected their ability to get the best possible outcome. Mm -hmm. And so they looked at, um, strangers, I believe it was strangers, uh, acquaintances, colleagues, and married couples. Yeah. Uh, this is Kathleen McGinn. She's based out of Harvard university in Boston. Um, and basically what they found was, there were strangers who don't have any relationship. And so they share some information, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. And they did okay at the negotiation at creating value. Then you had colleagues or acquaintances, people who are used to working together, who have a little bit of trust, um, but also are not so deep in the relationship that they don't share information. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, okay, I'll, uh, you know, I, I care about you enough to learn a little bit and I trust you enough that we can have an honest conversation, but I'm still going to tell you what I care about or what I need. Yeah. And they actually did very, very well in the negotiation. They created a lot of value because of that open, open sharing of information. 
And then they looked at married couples. Yeah. And married couples did worse than strangers at this game. Oh my gosh. Because they care deeply about each other, but they also make a ton of assumptions about what the other person cares about. Mm. And they care about the other person enough that they don't share what it is that matters to them because they think that they can sacrifice something for the sake of caring about their partner. Right. And so you've got strangers who don't share a lot of information because they have no relationship. You've got married couples who don't share a lot of information because they have a very deep relationship. And both of those scenarios reflect sort of what you're talking about with bluffing, right? Yeah. If we don't give accurate information or if we hold information back, we're just not going to create the maximum amount of value. Mm. And what we're really looking forward for is that more colleague uh, type mindset, which is that I trust you enough to work with you. I am still willing and, and I'm going to prioritize telling you what matters to me. And I also am willing to listen about what matters to you. And that exchange of honest information is going to create the maximum overall value over time. Yeah, right. That's so interesting. So cool. And um, so when it, I'm conscious that I've taken so much of your time, but it's just so bloody interesting. So thank you. Rachel. <laughs> I'll let you go soon, I promise. Um, one of the, so obviously we've got a heap of information there about negotiating that is so useful because it's so different to anything that I've heard before. And clearly it's why I'm rubbish at negotiating. But <laughs> one of the things I want to know is can you give us like a really clear, succinct, simple rundown of the main things that we want to keep in mind when we go into a negotiation process? Like I'm thinking particularly around these holidays, you know, when we're trying to negotiate to people close to us to get what we want and make it less stressful for everyone. Like what, what should our process be? Yeah, for sure. Okay. First thing is prepare, right? In our preparation, ask ourselves, what do I want? And go one level deeper than just what my position would be into what actually really matters to me. Then hypothesize about what other people want. And this can be one other person or it could be a whole family unit, right? Um, Having that information, try to get creative. What are different creative ways that I might be able to solve this challenge, right? Yeah. If you can get other people involved in that, get them working with you shoulder to shoulder, that's even better. Also important to know, what do you do if it doesn't work out? And is that okay? And tell yourself that that is okay Mm -hmm. um, before you go in to negotiate. And then finally, keeping these relational interests in mind. We all want these six things and we want them in different levels. So I'm going to run through them really quickly. Yeah, do it. Status, right? Status is... Am I being seen at the level that I expect? So is somebody else exerting power over me or diminishing my power in some ways? That gets me um, a status trigger. Mm -hmm. Affiliation is the next one. This is, do I belong? Am Mm -hmm. I part of the group? Appreciation. Do you see me? Do you really see my, my contribution here? Fairness. Am I being treated fairly? Autonomy. Can I make decisions for myself? Can I choose? And then finally, role, which role is a little bit different than the rest of them. But the idea is, um, is the role that I am put in something that connects with my identity? So if I think about myself as somebody who is a really good listener and somebody paints me into a a picture of, uh, oh, that person was dismissive or they didn't want to hear my story. 
that would conflict with my identity because I think about myself as a really good listener. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing these interests in ourselves, but also in others mm-hmm. can help us to approach our relationships in ways that's gentle on our relationships. Yeah. And can help us to negotiate for outcomes that both get us the things that we need, meet our interests, but also help us to maintain our reputation and build our relationships so that it's kind of a cycle, right? Mm. So that then people will share more information with us and we can get more creative about the solutions that we're coming up with. And we can kind of create this virtual cycle, virtuous cycle of negotiating for better outcomes for all. I love that. That's so great. And it's like when you run through those um, interests that we all have and those emotional triggers, it is so easy to see why Christmas time is so fraught for people because like the ostracization, the threat to your identity, the fact, you know, people painting you in a way that does not, is not congruous with what you see yourself as. It's like, holy shit, we should all have negotiation training 101 before we enter the holiday season because it would be a lot better for everyone right amen amen so if we only keep one thing in our minds when we approach negotiation what should it be oh gosh that's a hard one because this you is can my... have three maybe if you want <laughs> this is my whole life but i would say if there was only one thing that you could keep in mind yeah um it would be to recognize that underneath the positions, so underneath the demands, underneath the thing that we think will satisfy us, there is a motivation on both our side, on an organization side, a family unit side, or another person. Mm -hmm. And if you can start talking one level down at the level of things that actually motivate us, Mm -hmm. it's way more likely that you can find a solution. Mm. So if there was only one thing that we could keep in mind, I think that would be the number one thing. And if I can cheat and throw in one more. You can, you can. I, <laughs> thank you for that. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, if I could throw in one more, I would say to recognize that negotiations don't happen in a single conversation. They mm-hmm. happen over time. They happen in relationships. Sometimes you don't win. Yeah. Uh, you know, according to what you you thought of as success. But if you are showing up in a way that is focused on really listening to the other side, understanding their interests, being willing to look at creative ways that you might come up with a solution, and keeping in mind those emotional interests and ways to create an understanding of fairness, even if you don't win every time, you're going to win in your relationships. And people are going to start to recognize that they like negotiating with you. Because Mm. you are also focused on the things that they care about. And that effect will mean that you win more over time. That is so cool. What a revelation. I mean, I expected to learn a lot in this conversation, but oh my God, my brain is like busting with amazing things. Obviously, this is like (laughs) a teeny weeny smidge of the amount of incredible information that you know. If we kind of pique people's interest here in negotiation, particularly, you know, because it's kind of redefined my understanding of negotiation, like that's outside of a pay rise, it's outside of buying a car. If people want to know more about that kind of thing, those good relationships and how to negotiate, do you have any good resources that you can suggest to us or any good places to go and learn or where we can find out more about your stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
the first thing I would recommend is to start looking for this in your life. Yeah. Um, start recognizing that you're in a negotiation. Um, the second thing is, is there's a couple of really great books that yeah. I think are absolutely worth having on your shelf that you can go back to again and again. Um, Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher and William Murray is an excellent resource. I often go back yeah. and reflect. And then um, Difficult Conversations by Sheila Heen and Doug Stone. Um, they are brilliant folks who started at the Harvard Negotiation Project and have gone out into the world and learned a lot about these hard conversations and hard uh, points of trying to relate to one another. And they've come up with some really good advice and they've refined that book and it's gotten to the point where it's a quick read, um, but every page, man, it has something valuable. So those are two that I would start with. They're on my shelf and I go back to them often. Um, and then use those as a way to inspire yourself to keep looking for negotiation Keep asking yourself, you know, how did that one go? And what would I do differently next time? Mm. And that can help us to really reflect on our negotiations and to learn something from it so that we do better next time instead of using the same hammer or trying the same thing over and over again, but really um, encouraging ourselves to grow. Rachel Morbest is the founder of The Human Factor, an organization dedicated to making negotiation and advocacy accessible for everyone. I've put a link to all those books that Rachel mentioned in the show notes and you can find out more information and connect with Rachel there too. Thank you so much for joining me this week. As I mentioned before, this is the first in my series, 12 Pods of Christmas. I'm going to be joining you every Tuesday, Thursday and Sunday for the month of December and I'm super excited about it we're gonna make this the best Christmas ever quite literally I cannot wait thank you so much for joining me if you're enjoying the series so far please leave me a review on your favorite podcasting app I would be super grateful and you know what that's what this season is all about right so come on give me a review I really appreciate it I'll catch you next time I'm Ed Stott and I sincerely hope That's been helpful.